Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Have you ever wondered what God is like, or what Jesus was all about, or how you get saved, and what getting saved means anyway? Well, if you've ever felt embarrassed to ask, please don't. I really want to help you understand our big, amazing God. And a great place to start is a little book that I wrote called The Basics. God, You, Jesus, and Faith. And here's more good news. If you're always on the go and don't have time to read, you can now listen to The Basics as a podcast series. Just search for The Basics with Pastor Mike Novotny wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Do you think it's wise to carry a weight that's too heavy for you? You might picture a toddler trying to pick up a big box off a coffee table or a high school athlete trying to bench press too much weight or a frail old lady setting her walker aside to try and push a big, heavy cabinet. In all of those scenarios, that's the type of setting where people get hurt. That's not wise at all. Throughout this series, we are going to see some case studies of people that are carrying around some sizable weight, but they're not carrying it on their shoulders. It's not back-breaking at all. It's a weight that they're carrying on their heart and on their soul. These are case studies about guilt. We will not only see the sizable weight that they are carrying around and what that does to them, we'll also see what God did for them and what he aims to do for you as well. One of the great places to turn to understand guilt is to the Old Testament. 1000 BC, roughly, there was this great king by the name of David. Now, each of us knows what it takes to ruin a reputation. And then there are other things that can land a person on the evening news. Well, there was this time when David did just that. You see, his army went off to war and David stayed behind and he saw this beautiful woman and he called for her. Even though he had everything he ever needed, including a wife and more, he called for her and he slept with her and she became pregnant. He tried to cover it up by calling the woman's husband from the battlefield, but the soldier was too loyal and never went home. And so David tried again and it didn't work. And then he sent the soldier back and hatched a plan to have this soldier murdered. And he did. And then David took this woman home as his wife, and it looked like he got away with it. But if you look elsewhere in the Bible, you see David describe how he didn't get away with it at all. In fact, in one of the prayers that he wrote in Psalm 32, he pulls back the curtain to his heart and soul to describe what happens when a person is inflicted with guilt, especially over large mistakes and big blunders in life. He said, it felt like the Lord's hand was heavy upon me. It's like that athlete who's got that bench press bar pressing down upon the sternum and there's no end in sight. That kind of describes the weight that guilt can have upon a person's heart and soul. And maybe you've been there. I know I have. When you look at the mistakes that you've made in the past and you just can't go back and undo them. When you think of the words that you spoke that wounded people deeply, or maybe it was a a massive mistake that everyone around you still remembers. No matter what it is, those types of big mistakes end up being a heavy weight of guilt that weighs down upon the soul. And so what do you do when the guilt seems to be too great? Well, David goes on in Psalm 32 to say this, I confessed my transgressions to the Lord and he forgave the guilt of my sin. 
he uses two words that have pictures to them. Transgression means to, to cross the line that God has this line that we're not supposed to cross. And yet we do. Sin means that we miss the mark. God is very clear and specific on what we're supposed to do and not do. And anytime we miss that mark, that's called sin. And so that helps us understand something very clear about guilt. And that is, it's not just a feeling. It's actually a record of where we stand before God in our relationship to him. The world in which we live would like to say that guilt is just an intuition or a feeling, but that's not the case. It's where we stand with God. And so what to do when the guilt is too great? I, I talked with a woman, a 30-something recently, and she said, I tried to ignore it for over a year. I tried to ignore it even for the last several months, and I just couldn't until, and she did one specific thing, and she said, until I did this, and it was like a weight was lifted off my soul. She did exactly what David did. I confessed my transgressions to the Lord, and he forgave the guilt of my sin. That word forgive, baked into that word is this idea of lifting up and lifting up not only the weight, but lifting up and rescuing the ones who are crushed under that weight. So no matter if your guilt is sizable, massive, great, or not, there is a God who does not make us strong enough to carry that weight around on our own. Instead, with his great mercy and the strength of his love, he lifts that weight off. More than that, in his love and forgiveness, he lifts us up too. So there is a weight that is too heavy to carry, and maybe it's important to recognize that. But the weight of our guilt is never too heavy for our gracious God. It was the worst burn ever. I was trying to heat up some water, but I put the wrong mug into the microwave for too long and not paying attention, I just opened the microwave and grabbed the mug and pulled it out. And right then it started to burn terribly. I couldn't just drop it because there was a glass stove top right underneath and the kitchen sink is two steps away. And with every step, every millisecond, the burning increased tenfold and it was bad. Blisters everywhere. When we're carrying something that we're not meant to carry, sometimes the damage can increase with every single step. And that's a helpful way of understanding the way that guilt works. To help us unpack that, let's look at two different case studies side by side, Judas and Peter, both of them followers of Jesus. First, let's look at Judas. He was the treasurer. He took care of the money, but he often tried to help himself and he skimmed off the top. This greed started to push out more and more of the space that he had in his heart for God's word. Even though he's following Jesus, this darkness started to creep in more and more. He even agreed to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And on that last night that he was with Jesus, Jesus even warned him of what was going to happen. And that warning is a, a moment of grace and yet Judas still went on his way. Pause. Now let's look at Peter. Peter was the impetuous one, bold, always wanted to be where Jesus was. One time Jesus was walking on the water in a storm and Peter was willing to walk out after him. He was always ready to step up and be brave. Jesus warned him that he was going to deny Jesus three times and Peter said, never. This will never happen to me. One time he even said, if all the others fall away, I won't be that guy. It won't be me. 
Well, Jesus was captured and betrayed by Judas, and Peter followed closely behind to warm himself by the fire. And they recognized, these people sitting around recognized that it was Peter, and he denied knowing Jesus. And the worst time was the third time when Jesus rounded the corner and Peter saw Jesus see him while he's denying Jesus. Cut to the heart, to the very core. Imagine the immense guilt. Pause. One of the things we see with both of these side by side is that even though they're close to their Savior and they know, still both of them had some massive mistakes. And so what do we learn about these pathways is seen as we compare them side by side and how they move forward. What does Judas end up doing? Well, Judas tries to take the 30 pieces of silver that he used as payment to betray Jesus and give it back to them, but they're not having it. They already have their reward and they're ready to kill Jesus. He tries to really give it back. In fact, he throws it back at them. But you know what we learn? There's no amount of payment. There's no price that can be paid to release us from our guilt. Judas is trying to give that money back to hopefully free Jesus and salve his conscience, but that's not how guilt works. There's no amount of success or stuff in this life that's ever going to release that immense burn on our heart and soul. And so what was left of Judas? Well, since evil had so captivated his heart and darkness had pushed out the light, he was left only to himself. And we learn, sadly, that he took his own life and hanged himself. The Bible says, worse yet, that he, according to his heart, went to the place where he was destined to go. When left only with guilt, that burn eventually consumed his heart. And that's a great warning for us, a serious one, that is. To never underestimate how when we carry something we're not meant to carry, it doesn't just go away or dissolve or dissipate over time. It can burn us every single step along the way. Compare that to the path of Peter. When Peter sees Jesus, see him, it, scripture says he went out and wept bitterly. And we don't know the words of those weeping, but we know that he's so sorry for that massive mistake that he made. But he didn't despair he still looked to God and the Savior who would pursue him. You see, after Jesus died and rose on the third day, he went and pursued Peter. And when he found Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he asks three times, which is emblematic of the three times that Peter denied Jesus. You see, Jesus seeks us out too when we are experiencing the burn of guilt on our heart and soul not to throw that right back in our face and to remind us of our mistakes and why we really should feel guilty, no, but in order to forgive us. So we would know that our Savior died and rose so we would be freed from that guilt. But there's more. He said to Peter, feed my sheep. The same Savior who washes away that guilt and salves consciences with his mercy and forgiveness also gives us not just the peace of forgiveness, but also purpose too the purpose to serve him. I mean, if you would look out in the world and consider the amount of people that are walking around with big time guilt that's like burning their heart and every single step they're carrying it along further and further and the burning is increasing, God gives certain people this profound purpose. People who have been forgiven, who now know what it's like to be forgiven of their guilt so that they can share that message with others. Do you know anybody like that? God not only has forgiven you, 
in your Savior Jesus. He also gives you an opportunity, a privilege, and even purpose to be that mouthpiece to others so that they would know that a Savior does not burn in anger against us, but always aims to forgive us, to give us peace, and yes, even profound purpose. Do you like labels? I'm not talking about soup can labels or labels that might be on a drawer or in a filing cabinet. I'm talking about the labels that people might have for you. We probably tend to think no, but we would welcome labels if they're positive. Like if people referred to you with labels like, you're the smart one, or you're the athlete, you're the pretty one, or the handsome one. You're successful, you're helpful, you're caring, you're thoughtful. If people assigned those labels to us, we might not protest too heavily. The sad reality is when we think about labels and the way that people typically function, our brains tend to go to the negative side. And worse yet are not just the labels that other people have of us, but maybe even worse are the labels we give ourselves. I asked a group of teens one time, I, each, I gave each of them 10 sticky notes. And they were supposed to write down the labels that they have of themselves. They would only share it with me and I would destroy them, but just give them a general overview. No surprise, most of them were negative. They said things like dumb, unathletic, least hyphen favorite hyphen child, fat, stupid, failure. And the worst one was this young lady who wrote down worthless. It broke my heart. It might not come as a surprise to us that we can be our own worst critic. But you know who takes the cake at giving himself probably the worst label ever? His name was Paul. But before he became Paul, his name was Saul. He thought he served the Lord, but actually he was persecuting Christians. He would throw them in prison. He would separate parents from their children. One time he was even holding the cloaks of a bunch of men who were stoning a Christian to death. And he was looking approvingly of this entire ordeal. This man, Saul, later became Paul. I mean, imagine if on your record, you could give yourself the label Christian killer. That's pretty serious. Family wrecker. That's pretty serious. He could say that about himself. But what happened was while he was on his way to go persecute Christians further, Jesus appeared to him, Saul, the name means great one, and changed not just his name to mean something different into Paul, which means little one, he changed his entire status. He gave him a new label. You see, Jesus appeared to Saul while he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians in order to make Paul a brand new child of God and to also make him a servant of God to help others as he would share the message of Jesus. Do so you think you have a label that you could put on yourself that's worse than Paul? He wrote to a young friend of his one time and he said this, I am the worst sinner. I'm the worst sinner. And you know, if you were a Christian killer and a family wrecker, a, a, a believer persecutor, you, you might be up there as far as the, the leader of all of those who have the worst labels tied to their name. But that teaches us something about guilt. You see, guilt is not just giving yourself a label based on how you feel about yourself. Guilt has everything to do with where you are with God, as we said a couple videos ago. 
Guilt is not just your intuition of yourself and your identity and the way you feel in the moment. It is where you are with God and also where you look to what God says about you. You see, when he was writing to Timothy, he just didn't say, I'm the worst sinner ever. This is what he says. First Timothy chapter one, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul gives us a perspective on how to deal with our guilt. That perspective is not to focus on the labels that we have of ourselves. You may have made some major mistakes and nobody may need to remind you of those mistakes. Albeit it might happen that people put it in front of your face and might try to rub your nose in those big blunders. But we easily are our own worst critics as we recall our own guilt. But the way we deal with it, this perspective that Paul gives us is not to focus on this label that we have of ourselves, but instead to see exactly what God provides. Christ Jesus came into the world with the distinct purpose of saving sinners. So we have guilt that makes us candidates for a savior who came for that distinct purpose in order to save, to rescue, to lift us up and redeem us, to buy us back by his own sacrifice. And that perspective of focusing on our Savior's grace is exactly what we need. Every single moment when we think of ourselves with a certain label of being guilty. Instead, we carry different labels. Labels like saved, child of God, loved by Jesus. I sat down at a coffee shop with a young 20 something and he said, I just can't take it anymore. And he got really loud. And there were the other patrons sitting around and they all started looking over wondering what's going on. And I tried to ignore this awkward moment because it was noticeable. He, he wasn't raising his voice and saying, I can't take it anymore because of stress or college or a relationship or anything else. I knew exactly where he was going. He told me why he wanted to meet with me because earlier in his life, there was a couple years where he lived a certain lifestyle where he made a lot of mistakes. He couldn't stand what he saw of himself as he looked back and the guilt over that lifestyle nagged at him. He had hurt a lot of people. He was fortunate that he wasn't in prison for several years. He felt so terrible that guilt had finally gotten to him so bad that he yelled out in a public place, I can't take it anymore. You know, the culture and society around us might try to suggest that there are some quick fixes, that we could drown out our guilt with fill in the blank, some substance or some type of change of mind or a different perspective, or that there's a philosophical approach that can help you flip some switch in your brain to think about yourself entirely differently. Well, he had tried all of those things and it just so happened that none of those things worked for him. They don't work for me and odds are they won't work for you either. When guilt just doesn't go away, and when we're wondering if God is working against us, where do we go? Well, we can help unpack that by looking way back to the first book of the Bible. The last 10 or so chapters of that book is this saga. There were these brothers, and their relationship wasn't good. So you see, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are these Old Testament pillars, and Jacob had tons of sons. And these brothers were at odds, most of them against Joseph, the younger brother. 
It's usually not wise for the younger brother to kind of pick a fight with his older brothers. And that's kind of what ended up happening in short. But it became so bad that they wanted to kill him. And then they just defaulted to selling him as a slave. I mean, think about that. Imagine if you heard of this family that had tons of brothers and their relationship, their infighting was so bad that the older brothers were contacting people on the black market in order to traffic their younger brother. We would probably call the authorities, but that kind of gives you an idea of how bad this was. And they think that Joseph is dead and they tell their dad just that. They think they got away with it, but guilt doesn't let people off the hook that easily. Joseph goes to Egypt. Long story short, he rises to second in command and here come his brothers to purchase some grain because there's a famine. They don't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognizes all of his older brothers and he starts testing them. He makes their life challenging in a little bit to see how they interact with these predicaments that Joseph puts in front of them. At one point in chapter 42, they, they basically say, the distress that we have caused, God is now allowing us to experience this distress ourselves. Later on, one of them says, God has uncovered our guilt. Let's pause for a moment. Sometimes when we are experiencing guilt, it might seem to us that God is out to get us, like he's some being up there who's holding lightning bolts like a javelin, ready to throw them down upon us. He can't wait to get us back for all the reasons why we should feel guilty. Maybe he's even turning up the heat and making us feel more guilty, and that's how God functions. Let this be clear. There is no place in all of the Bible that describes God that way. God will allow us to feel the ramifications of our mistakes, but God does not aim to get back at us for our guilt, to turn up the heat or to smite us in some way at all. No, God is only described as a merciful father who wants to forgive us. So as these brothers are wrestling in this predicament, as their life is challenged by this test from Joseph, whom they still don't recognize, let it be known that as God is uncovering guilt, he's not doing that in order to hurt but to lead us towards healing. Joseph eventually reveals himself to his brothers. And scripture says he spoke kindly to them to assure them that they are forgiven and that all is well. Later on, when they're worried that he's going to carry out revenge against them, Joseph says, am I in the place of God? In other words, we're not in the place to carry out eternal judgment towards others who have guilt on their heart. He says, you intended to harm me but God intended it for good. For what is now being done is the saving of many lives. Joseph could see that God functions to forgive. And since we are forgiven by God, he calls us to forgive others. What Joseph's brothers learned is that God is not out to get us for our guilt, instead to lead us to the healing that can only be found in his mercy. Forgiveness that is only found in God's grace. So for that young 20-something, what did I get to say to him? The same thing that you probably would say to somebody who's inflicted with guilt. I didn't tell him to just get over it or point him in some other direction where there's no cure to be found, but instead to tell him, am I in the place of God to pass judgment over you? You're forgiven. God loves you. And what is true of that 20-something young man is also true for you.
It's arguably the biggest question Jesus ever asked. Now, everybody has a lot of questions about Jesus, and there's not enough time in this video or in this day to walk through the questions that just we would have. But much bigger are the questions that Jesus asks. And not just the questions that he asks of others, but consider this arguably biggest question that Jesus asks about himself. You see, when we lean into this question, we get to see very clearly and so closely what God really thinks about guilt. And throughout this series, we've seen perspectives of guilt and when the weight is too big and when it feels like there, our heart is burning or even two pathways. We've looked at all of these and also how God interacts with these case studies and also how he interacts with us in our moments of guilt. But if you want to see the culmination of it all, lean in with me to this one question that Jesus said at the very end of his life. Jesus had been wrongfully captured and unjustly convicted, sentenced to be executed on a Roman cross. And the worst part about it all that we are going to identify is actually the most beautiful at the same time. So what was that worst part? The worst part wasn't the injustice of it all, although he was innocent. Well, what about when he was whipped? Some people didn't even survive that. That wasn't the worst of it. When the crown of thorns was pressed on his brow, when they nailed him to the cross and hung him there, all of those excruciating details we won't get into, none of that was the worst of it. The worst of it can be found in that one question we get to lean into. As he hangs there, getting closer to his death, Jesus asked, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, when Jesus said that, he wasn't asking a real question, looking for a real answer. When we ask God why, that's the way we approach it. We, we wonder, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my loved ones? Why did that bad thing happen on the other side of the globe? When we ask God why, we are really looking for a sincere and serious answer. But Jesus is not asking why because he doesn't know. He's not saying, why is this happening? I don't really get it. He's not asking why because he doesn't know. He's asking why so that we would be able to lean in and know what's going on. So what is that? He uses the word forsaken. Jesus experiences the full weight of our sin. All of our guilt is upon him and the father turns away so that Jesus would only experience darkness and punishment and yes, the weight of eternal hell itself. So that we never would. Jesus experiences hell in order that we would be given heaven. He has the Father turn his face away so that the Father would turn his face to you with mercy and grace. And so while that is the most gruesome and awful moment of all history, certainly of Jesus' life, it is most beautiful to us because that is exactly how God feels about guilt. He gave his one and only son as the sacrifice to take it away from us by putting it on his son where it would be punished and where guilt would go to die. And to prove that that payment was made, Jesus rose from the dead, just as he said on the third day, so that you would know without a shadow of a doubt that all your fears and worries about guilt coming back to haunt you before God are empty. Just like that too. So with every moment of grace that God gives you, today and tomorrow, you're not identified by guilt. It's not a label that you carry. The perspective you have of this world is entirely changed. You are not one who is identified by your guilt. You are one who is saved from it. A child of God now and forever.